Welcome to episode number 40 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. So I get a regular email from Women at Work through Harvard Business Review, and I really enjoy it, and I always find value. And if you've not found the Women at Work podcast on Harvard Business Review, I highly recommend it. I think that they talk about issues in the workplace that are specific to women, um, and then they touch on the intersection of what it means to be a woman at work, but also maybe what it means to be at the intersection of being a black woman at work or being a white woman at work who also is a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh, there is so much content that I that is relevant on the site. And so I wanted to share one piece in particular that I thought was fantastic. And I'm going to read it to you because sometimes, right, we get these um, emails and I don't know about you, but I get a lot of emails during the day, some of which are total crap. And I've learned to, you know, block and uh, and label them as junk, but some of them are really good. And I don't want you to miss out on this one because I think there's such value in it. It's actually written by Amanda Kersey, who is a senior audio producer. She is not the one of the hosts of um, Women at Work, but I think that this perspective and what she talks about is fantastic. So without further delay, I'm going to read this to you. Bear with me. It is a little bit long, but we will um, get through it. And then I will kind of give you my take on it after then. But what she talks about in here is uh, highlights so much of what we talk about in terms of being a woman in a professional workplace. And I think that uh, the more that we talk about it, the more we have these conversations, uh, the more that we are empowered to go into the workplace and to call out discriminatory practices to make sure that, you know, when we find that we are in these toxic cultures and workplaces that we make intentional choices on what serves us and whether or not we're going to stay there, whether or not we're going to buck the system and try to fix it and, you know, be in it or whether or not we're going to say, deuces, I'm out, you know, juice isn't worth the squeeze, right? And that always is a very individual um, ask and, and question for all of us. So, but again, this is a letter that uh, Amanda Kersey wrote as the senior audio producer. She wrote to the readership of uh, Women at Work in Harvard Business Review titled Conversations About Where We're At and How We Move Forward. Next April, I turn 35, and as that birthday approaches, I've been reflecting on where I stand at the end of young adulthood and the beginning of middle age. I feel much more secure and sure of myself than I did 10 years ago. I earn more money, which pays for backup elder care and vacations and massages that hold me together. I have a husband who handles all sorts of tasks and responsibilities that used to be mine alone. I have more independence, influence, and help at work. I manage stress better after living through a fair share of it. In a lot of ways, I'm hitting my stride, and yet... I'm learning that new obstacles are in store. According to Harvard Business School researchers Colleen Ammerman and Boris Groisberg, three biases tend to derail mid-career women. They surveyed over 100 female senior executives and half said that their mid-30s to their late 40s was the stage when they faced the most gender bias or discrimination. Ammerman and Groisberg grouped the stories that women told them into three categories. Number one, unfair assumptions. People believe that you're less committed to your job than men in the same position, as well as less suited for leadership and less experienced. Number two, unhelpful attention. 
People become extra judgy about whether or not they find you likable and competent, and rarely do they decide you're both. The double bind between likability and competence is multifaceted, but one, one woman quoted in the article summed it up straight, quote unquote, you are seen as a bitch if you're too successful or a mothering figure if you are too well-liked. Number three, unequal access. Men in power make less of an effort to build and maintain relationships with you and thus overlook you when it's time to promote somebody. Another recent study illustrates how unhelpful attention can derail mid-career women. The research term had set out to understand, quote unquote, how women are perceived as they age and the consequences of those perceptions and zeroed in on middle age as, quote unquote, a particularly consequential yet often overlooked period. They go on to describe it as a perilous time when women who've acquired expertise and status are more likely, or excuse me, most likely to be perceived as maximally incongruent with sex role stereotypes. And when women violate sex role stereotypes, e.g. by demonstrating competence and being assertive, people impose social and economic penalties. One way they do that is by giving us lower ratings. In studying the evaluations that tenure-track MBA faculty received over the course of 15 years, researchers saw that women's scores started declining in their 30s, bottomed out at 47, and gradually picked back up from there. Men's scores, on the other hand, went in the opposite direction, peaking at middle age. Once in their early 60s, both genders were scoring equally. Given that research has shown that teaching is a skill that tends to improve over time, why would students rate women worse than they did when those same women were younger and less experienced? It is possible, the researchers write, that women's increasing professional stature as they move from young adulthood to middle age may be threatening to a system that has traditionally excluded them from positions of power and status. People generally still like women who are nice, not women who have attained a high-status role that has long been dominated by men. And the researchers in this study found that, indeed, the more agency the students perceive their female professors to have, which was highest in middle age, the colder they perceive them to be, using words like callous and harsh in their open-ended responses, and the lower the scores they ultimately gave. A fair question. Had the woman's behavior changed? Were they, in reality, less warm? The researchers admitted that they couldn't rule out the possibility, but between the group-based generalizations they had observed and their awareness of past social science that had shown that adults overall become more agreeable as we age, they interpreted the perceptions as a stereotype and not the truth. If there is an observable warmth deficit in middle-aged women, they write, it is possible that it reflects the more negative treatment they experience from those who expect them to be unkind. The authors also acknowledge that their findings might be unique to higher education. However, if you've noticed that your ratings have dipped within the measurable, uh, while the measurable impact you're making hasn't, perhaps this is a validating explanation. You haven't declined. Other people may just be unsettled by your success. How can companies counteract these biases? Ammerman and Groisberg recommend that anyone involved in the design of performance reviews include only objective and measurable criteria. They also recommend incorporating tools to keep evaluators on task. One such tool might be to remind them that bias creeps into assessments so that they're primed to watch out for their own prejudices before completing their reviews. As I was taking all of this in, I kept thinking about how important it is not to rush through any evaluation you're doing, even if it's just a simple feedback form after listening to a speaker. The more I've learned about why most performance evaluations are biased, the more I've tried to slow down, be thoughtful, refer to any measures of success available to me, and read through my answers before submitting them. 
It's disconcerting that the self-assuredness and security that I'm proud to have gained during young adulthood might soon be seen by others as a threat and a reason to like me less and rate me worse. I don't consider 34-year-old me to be consistently nice in everyday interactions, and yet I know that dialing up warmth, see the article Connect Then Lead, when I need people to see me as trustworthy and capable increases the chances of that happening. I don't enjoy bending my behavior to suit others' gendered expectations of how I should act, but I do do it to get work done and to get where I want to be. But we can't totally control people's perceptions of us, and according to these findings, people will judge us, will judge our accomplished, credential, middle-aged selves as less than, no matter how warm and competent we actually are. If you're approaching middle age too, how have you been thinking about this transition? What career concerns do you have? And if you're already there, has it indeed been perilous? Do you believe people's perceptions of you have changed? How so? And what's the impact been? We've never talked about middle age at length on the podcast, or perhaps with your input, that would be a topic that we cover in the future. So that is the opening of her email. And I thought it was fantastic because I think it touched on things which you and I probably know to be true, which is that, right, this this one line in particular, which is when women violate sex role stereotypes, meaning you demonstrate your competence and also being assertive, people impose social and economic penalties, right? This is the common um, this is the common issue that we are faced with when showing up in a very powerful way and being immediately labeled as being a bitch. And I know I'm not the only one who has probably shown up in that way, uh, in a very powerful way, and been labeled a bitch, or been told that I have a um, a resting bitch face, right? Or been called a um, snow princess, an ice princess, excuse me, not a snow princess. Snow princess wouldn't be so bad, I guess. <laughs> but ice princess, right? Have you ever been called an ice princess, right? Somebody who is, uh, right? And, and why? And furthermore, if you have been called an ice princess, or been told that you have resting bitch face, right? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Do I look around the room at all of my male colleagues and wonder and, and label them and say, well, this guy's got a curmudgeon approach or a look on his face, and this guy's got a, a, you know, an assertive, aggressive look on his face? And do I then label them and make it mean something about them? No, but we sure as hell do with women. So I wanted to read this because I, again, thought, you know, it's so interesting. And a lot of the work that we do, whether it's in you know nurses living the good life, or if I do it when I'm coaching my individual one-on-one clients, or if it's in the premise of building a business, so much of the work that we do is focused on really at the base, a lot of the premises of self-love and confidence and, um, and becoming a version of yourself who is at peace with who she is and what she wants and how she shows up in the world, who is, in essence, unfuckwithable. She doesn't give a fuck about what people think of her, what they say about her. She literally puts on, you know, I was just telling a client this this morning, if you guys have seen Christmas Vacation and you've watched Chevy Chase and in that movie, he has the, um, he has that spray and before they go sledding and he has that metal disc essentially that, you know, they go sledding on, he takes the spray and he's like, it's a super cruncher. I don't even know. It's like the this spray that he puts onto the metal um, sled that will allow the sled to go more uh, quickly down, you know, the snow. Little does he know, and in the movie it's funny because if you've seen it, you know that you know he gets onto the actual sled and he just shoots off, you know, uh, and it's hilarious to watch. 
But literally, what if, you know, we could produce that product and we could spray it literally on top of us, almost like a shield of armor uh, and, and do a couple coats of it so that any words that came through to us, any perceptions that, that people gave to us, they just rolled off. Literally, they slid right down that, that coat of armor and, and, you know, gathered in a puddle on the floor. And we just said, oh, look at that and walked right away. It would be it would be like having the best raincoat, right? Like a a raincoat that literally protects you from the wind and the rain and the water just hits it and it just drips right off without soaking you to the bone. Right? That's what we're talking about. Being that kind of a woman who says, "Oh no, I'm I, you know, I, you, you can say all you want. I won't try to stop you because, you know, I'm not going to try to expend my energy to control what you say and what you don't say. Go ahead and say what you want. It will never mean anything about me." It will never uh, affect me to a degree of which I will question myself, of which I will feel less confident, uh, of which I will not love myself and not uh, remind myself that I am a worthy human being who has so much good to share in the world, right? Be- right? And think about that. When you become that person and you can go into any situation and write and control from a level of just that self-awareness to know, oh, sometimes I feel triggered when people say these things. And so what I work on is making sure that, you know, the armor that I wear into the meetings or the armor that I wear into, um, you know, any sort of professional um, space is literally protecting everything on the inside. And it, and all that is is confidence and self-love and worth and, um, and pure just, um, you know, love for myself as a human, right? That's being unfuckwithable. And I think what's interesting is that we are, you know, if you are someone who identifies as going out into the world and doing something different and bucking the trend, you know, it is a lonely world out here, right? Because m- most of the, the you know, businesses that get started are started very often by men. Um, you know, we are in a male-dominant profession that has, uh, a hierarchy in place that has always favored white cisgendered, um, you know, hetero males, always, right? And so when we come into that kind of a system and it's so toxic and it's degrading and we get labeled as bitches or we get labeled as assertive or we get labeled as the troublemakers because we're always the ones who want, want to change things, right? Then, right, what, what happens to us? Well, you know what happens. You stay in a system like that too long and all of a sudden you start thinking that you might be the problem, right? You start thinking, oh, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one who's at fault here. Maybe I'm the problem here. Maybe I need to go on and change myself. Maybe I need to, you know, tone down the way I dress. Maybe I need to not uh, wear such dramatic red lipstick. Maybe I need to put on a shorter heel, you know, a kitten heel versus a two-incher. I mean, maybe I need, right? I mean, have you ever thought about how you have adapted yourself in order to blend in, in order to fit in? In order to become that person who, you know, do, doesn't uh, attract any of the comments, and some of you will listen to this conversation, you'll say, "Oh my gosh, I've never done that." And if you have, God bless you and good for you. And whatever you've got, I think you should literally stop whatever you're doing. You should create a coaching program. You should go out and teach that to other women, just like I'm doing. But I know from walking into many meetings over the years, from being labeled as, uh, you know, whether it was Ice Princess or as having a resting bitch face or uh, for being somebody who bucked the trend, I know how it feels uh, to, to question and to take all of that to make it mean something about me. And what I think is so interesting is that 
when you again become that person, that version of yourself that says, no, 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 no. I never question, you know, what the other people will say. I never question whether or not the, um, the way that I'm deemed to be likable and competent, you know, whether or not I'm going to let that hold me back from negotiating like a pro, or I'm going to let that hold me back from starting a private practice, or I'm going to let me hold that hold me back from, you know, creating the life of my dreams. Because honestly, right, it's not surprising that sometimes it does. And again, we're not here to judge this conversation is is not at all about judging uh, that, you know, because if you're like me, and you've had these moments where you have felt uh, where you have, um, you know, maybe been at the uh, seat of some unfair um, bias by the people who were in your professional group or in your professional community, then you understand how deeply we can feel that and and how much sometimes it can knock us off track and how much sometimes then we change and we, we develop this very inauthentic um, you know, version of ourselves. And here's just to give you an example. One of the things that I look back at that's so funny, it's a Facebook memory that comes up uh, once in a blue moon. And it's a picture of me back in the day when I was a medical director. And I was a, um, <laughs> I was attending a ceremony for our nurse awards. And a couple people were being recognized. I don't think I was, but a couple of my colleagues were being recognized. So I went to the uh, ceremony and um, and I remember uh, taking a picture with one of the nurses in particular from L and D. She had been uh, awarded a clinical nurse excellence uh, uh, award and, and we were celebrating her. Right, and I look at that picture and I see how I'm dressed and I'm dressed in a, a light pink button down, and I have a pair of gray pants on and I have a pair of heels and a small black belt, and then I have my you know badge hanging off. And I look at that picture and think, oh my god, that was the height of you at your, like how insecure and um, how inauthentic you were. And it's so interesting to look back now and say, wow, that was a different version of me. And it was a version of me that I created in order to feel like I fit in and to feel like I, you know, was confident and I wasn't. It was so, and it's funny to just look back at it and see, oh, wow, We've come a long way. I've come a long way in terms of getting back in touch with doing work that I love, not seeing in systems that I think are harmful, oppressive, or that don't work for me as a human. And remember, when I say harmful and oppressive, I just want to also point out sometimes there are really discriminatory and heavily biased practices that occur at work. And then sometimes the other issue is that I work with a lot of introverts um, who come to me because they're so burnt out. And they feel like, you know, the typical work week setup of a 40-hour work week or being in the clinic four to five days in a row, it doesn't serve them. And so sometimes I mean, when I say toxic, I mean, not necessarily in a, you know, in a apparent biased way, right, where there's there's bias going on and there's a gender pay gap. And, you know, this one, you know, uh, a man in the same role gets a bonus where the, a woman in the same role does not. Sometimes it's very blatant like that, but sometimes it's more that we are at odds with the system that we're in, right? If you're the introvert who's in, you know, doing clinic four to five days a week, it's only a matter of time before you are completely exhausted and you're going to despise your job. I mean, it's just how most introverts work. Most introverts just weren't designed to be in a system where they're on for 40 to 45 hours a week seeing patients. It exhausts them to the point where, you know, they spend their weekends 
um, trying to recoup and recharge their batteries. And then, you know, over time, they have this bigger and bigger deficit and the battery gets drained and it gets drained and it, you know, and then you're facing burnout. So when I talk about toxic systems, it's not always the very apparent stuff. It's sometimes it's the toxicity comes from being in the, that space where the work that you like to do or the way in which you like to do it is at odds with how your employer demands that you do it. So being the nurse who says, but I would really like to work you know, three days a week because that to me feels very doable and manageable. And the employer who says, no, we don't do that here. We don't hire part-time NPs or CNMs. Like you got to work five days a week and you got to see patients five days a week. And you know that sometimes is at odds with how we work. And that can be really toxic, even though it's not a typical you know, toxic workplace or discriminatory practice. So, but anyways, coming back to this picture, I look at it and think, wow, what a different version of, of you, you acclimated to being in order to really feel like you fit in, you know, in a system and in a role and in, you know, doing things that just weren't quite lighting you up, you know, in the way that coaching does now and in the way that entrepreneurship and building a business really does now. And I'm not here to judge it. I'm not here to, to, um, to like shit on myself, right? Or ever here to shit on anybody, anybody who's listening, right? But isn't it fascinating when we start to look back and say, wow, when were the periods of my life where I felt like I showed up in, a, in an adapted way? I adapted myself to make it easier you know, on the people around me, or I adapted into a system that, that didn't really work for me for whatever reason. And I think it's fascinating to see some of the proof of this when the pictures come up on Facebook, or maybe when you go and meet with an old colleague, or you're scrolling through your phone, and you see an old picture of yourself, and you think, wow, that's a different version of myself then. But right, what is also very um, telling is that I think many of us, if we're if we were surveyed, would say yes, of course. Um, I've faced these obstacles. I've um, faced, you know, what I felt was gender bias. I faced discrimination. I've been told I was a bitch. I've been, you know, passed over for a promotion. Uh, I've been told at the negotiating table that, you know, they just don't do negotiations and raises for nurses, right? I mean, you know, so think of all the times when you've sat in those positions and. Uh, and experience that level of, um, of again, discriminatory practices or, or some sort of bias that was aimed at you. And, and what you then did, did you make it mean something about yourself? Did you adapt yourself in order to fit in? Did you try to be more likable, right? Did you avoid conflict so that you were the person who created harmony? Did you, um, you know, avoid confrontation so that you didn't look like you were rocking the boat too much and you were, appeared to be really likable? Right. I mean, I've done all these things. So, you know, if you have, <laughs> welcome to the party. I mean, you're in real good company here. Uh, and again, you know, we're not here to judge it. We're just here to point it out and say, wow, how interesting that when, you know, that in some systems I've, I've been in that place where I felt it and that I have, you know, adapted myself uh, to be different. And, uh, and, and very often, I think most of us are faced with um, if we work in, in uh, organizations that tend to be like this, you know, we're often faced with, well, work there or try to find, you know, someplace that's totally different and that's non-discriminatory and, and that, you know, pays you for the value you create or honors you or respects you for the value you create or, you know, don't work or, or leave the profession and find something different. And how many of you listening are on the, the cusp of saying, get me the fuck out of here. Like I'm over this shit. Uh, and I totally get it because I, I was there many years ago and, um, and, and it was brewing for a long time. 
So I, I wanted, again, to read this article to you because I wanted to just um, share that you and I in our profession in nursing, you know, when we tend to uh, face some of these obstacles, number one, we're not alone. Number two, there is uh, there are words and verbiage to describe these things, including gender bias and discrimination. Uh, we know that you know women, not only in the profession of nursing, are that unfair assumptions are placed on them, that they get unhelpful attention, that there's unequal access, uh, and that these things not only affect us in nursing, but they affect us in the broader lens of healthcare, and they affect us all prof- in a professional sense. And so, again, my my. Um, what I strive to do is always to bring awareness to it and then to empower you to make a decision for you that works. Is this a system I want to stay in? Does this system serve me? Does how I have adapted serve me? Does it allow me to do work that I love? Does it allow me to do it in a way that I love to do it? Does it allow me to do it in a way that doesn't exhaust and fatigue me or harm me? You know, we talk a lot about exhaust and, um, you know, and fatigue when we talk about our roles, but how many of us are in systems that are harmful, right? Some of these practices are not only bad, they are physically harmful, right? How many of us have experienced trauma from being in situations where we felt unsafe? And, um, and not only we, did we feel biased, but we literally felt unsafe and, uh, and we were harmed from them. And we are now, you know, dealing with some of the trauma of that that comes up. Um, so, so remember, number one, you're not alone. Number two, these things happen and they're normal. And if you feel like you're like, what does it mean? No, it's not. It's not. We're one where we are individuals in much larger systems uh, that that very often have, again, uh, discriminatory practices that create inequity and that at the um, base of essentially shit on, you know, the people in the systems. So, so just know, right? And, and look, and sometimes the response I always get to this is like, but sometimes it is the individual, Anne. And, and look, you know, I'm, I run a, a damn coaching program. At, you know, I teach self-awareness. And um, I will always advocate for each one of us to own and to take responsibility for the things that are going on in our lives that we maybe aren't responding to well. If we're defensive or if we are, uh, you know, resentful or, or hold other people in contempt or if we're conflict avoidant or we're people pleasers. You know, I am a, a huge advocate and proponent of ex- exerting control where we can and changing the things that are in our control to change. And I also know that when we enter into toxic workplaces to the systems of oppression, to the systems that cause harm, and we are not in a place of power to do anything about changing the hierarchy and the structure, harm comes upon us. And that's what I am not okay with, right? And so for the people who say, well, you know, um, you know, you, you can't have this conversation without, without also pointing, you know, putting some blame and responsibility on the individual. And I would say, yeah, we never blame individuals, number one. And number two, yes, of course, we always take responsibility and exert control where we can. And number three, shitty systems exist and, uh, and, uh, a lot of people suffer at the hands of them. Uh, and it doesn't take much to look at the healthcare system and say, are there systems of harm that occur in the cell, in the healthcare system, not only for patients, but for providers? Yes, of course there are. And we all know them. We've all seen them. And probably we've, to an extent, participated in them too. So um, so let's call a spade a spade and say, yes, 
Um, you know, we will as individuals agree to do our fair share in terms of taking responsibility and ownership. And we also have an expectation, rightfully so, that an employer who, again, puts policy procedures, policies and procedures in place and SOPs in place and codes of conduct in place, that they too will do their part to supporting equity, uh, inclusion, belonging, uh, and, uh, and a, a, a culture of safety that, that supports people that does not tear them down, uh, and that does not perpetuate systems of violence uh, in toxic workplaces. So, so that's my rant. You know, you guys heard it today, and, uh, you know, I'm on fire. <laughs> so, but we got it, right? Sometimes, you know how when you read something, you're like, oh, man, oh, I got to do something with that. That's exactly how I felt with this. So uh, I would encourage you, if you are not listening to Women at Work, go and listen to it. There are some really good conversations. And now for those of you guys who work with me, you what I want to give you is some little tidbit. Remember that a lot of the advice that usually comes through for whether it's the Women at Work podcast or the, you know, most podcasts that are out there, most podcasts will talk about what we would in our, in my profession as being a coach, we would talk about action line uh, solutions. So when we talk about cognitive behavioral technique, we know that our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our actions, and our actions create our results. And so many of the Women at Work podcasts will talk about action line items like, you know, how to be more confident, how to have conversations that are hard, and how to talk with your boss about, you know, negotiator rates. And they'll give you action light items like, you know, make sure that you come in and, and have a business model for all the ways in which you're contributing, creating value in the organization, and make sure that you come prepared and you know the salary data for the people who are doing the same work in your demographic. And, you know, and, and they'll give you these, uh, these tips, right? So that the action that you take is, um, you know, can maybe help you to create the result you desire. But we in our coaching program, Nurses Living the Good Life, we know that not only do we have to show up and take massive action, but our thinking has to be like fucking clean on that. Because if I go into the conversation around negotiation or trying to advocate for myself and I feel completely inadequate and, and insecure, what happens when I sit at the negotiating table? I will literally tremor. I will sweat through my shirt. I will literally have a shaky voice. I will, uh, I will be reactive, not proactive. I will avoid having the hard conversation. I will avoid uh, advocating for myself. And so, so we have to, we also know that when we listen to the Women at Work podcast or any other podcast out there, it gives us, and some people give us these pieces of advice. Oh yeah, well, you just gotta, if you wanna, you know, create more, you know, healthy meals in your family, you just gotta make sure that you plan out your meals at the beginning of the week and, you know, uh, and make sure that you put the Instacart order together on Sunday and do your grocery shopping all at once and only go to the grocery store once. Of course, yes, those are important things to creating the schedule that honors, you know, home cooked meals during the week and, and decreasing them on time. We say we spend in, hey, what's for dinner? Or in thinking of like, I don't know what I'm going to cook for dinner. But here's the other thing. We also know that you have to show up powerfully as the, you know, as the queen or king or, you know, head of your household in order to say, I'm going to exert control here where I can. I know that these are the meals I got to plan. So I'm going to make sure that I set up the schedule for success and I create the system that's going to help me be most effective. But right, because that's driven from a place of power. The thinking is really clean on it. The feeling is a feeling of power. And the action that comes out of that will create the system that works for you. 
right? As opposed to being like, I don't know what to do and being and having uncertainty, that feeling of uncertainty or of, um, you know, just overwhelm, drive the bus. Because you know what happens when you get overwhelmed and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I got to go negotiate. Oh. And then you're crying. You're in the car crying. I mean, like we know how this goes. So, so remember when you go to listen to some of these podcasts and you get some of the A-line, the action line advice, remember we have to be really, really clear and make sure that the thinking is clean on it and make sure that that thinking creates very, uh, you know, clean, uh, positive emotions in us, whether it's feeling powerful, feeling confident, feeling calm, feeling peaceful, feeling content in order to create a positive result and an experience rather than having those actions driven by, again, insecurity, inadequacy, uncertainty, uh, and, and fear, right? Ultimately by fear. So, all right, go find women at work. I think it's fantastic. I'll put a plug, a uh, link to it in the show notes. Uh, and so you can find it easily. And, um, if Amanda Kersey ever hears this, Amanda, I think you're fantastic. Thanks for writing this out. And, um, and to the women at work who do the podcast, and I'm going to put something out to the universe right now. I will someday be on Harvard Business Review and you heard it here first. I, it's one of my big goals. I'm going to be on that podcast. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm going to make it happen at some point in my career because I love them and I want to help them and I (laughs) want to be a part of that conversation. So, um, so um, go listen to them, and, uh, and I hope this was helpful. And remember, you're not alone. We, we never judge. We never beat ourselves up for you know, the moments that we go through and we look back at the pictures and say, boy, what an inauthentic version of you that was. We never beat ourselves up. We just notice it. We come at it from curiosity and, and absolute 100 million percent love for ourselves and say, look at you. Look what you did. And look what you're doing now. And, uh, and uh, wow, look at you, right? With a, uh, from a place of pure love for ourselves. So, all right, have at it. Um, and, uh, you know, let's go out there and uh, let's change the world. And we're, we're going to do it together. Um, if you want more resources, don't forget, Nurses Living the Good Life uh, is available for you. So uh, reach out if you have questions. Okay, take care.